Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, you know how podcasts work. If you like the Stitcher app, you can find it there as well. Rate and review on whatever platform you choose, that'd be really cool. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch, Twitter account, myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch for more information. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, you can feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com, and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. Philly Sketchfest begins tonight. I mean, if you're listening as this episode releases. We'll begin with a sketch comedy film festival at the PFS Roxy Theater Wednesday night. Four nights of live shows. Thursday, May 30th, and Friday, May 31st, Philly Improv Theater. Saturday, June 1st, we go to the Ruba Club, and Sunday, June 2nd, underground arts not to mention the podcast mixer saturday afternoon starting at 2 p.m tattooed moms on south street a live sketch nerds coming up from washington dc followed by a live my first sketch on a personal note this year will be the first time i'm actually performing at philly sketch fest my sketch team judo range performed back in the day but I was actually on vacation and missed that show. And since then, I've only done live my first sketches. So come out to Philly Improv Theater on Thursday, May 30th to see me perform in a show I've called Thought Bubble. It's a short one-man show where you'll get inside the character's head a little bit. But enough about me. Today's guest is Mark X. Gwynn. Currently a member of Savage. Savage is coming to Philly Sketchfest on Friday, May 30th in the 7 p.m. block, along with Rosemary's other baby and Milwaukee. Mark's first sketch is called Raptor Reunion. Mark reads the roles of Carl and Maxwell, and I read Brentley and Chadwick, as well as give you any of the stage directions and visual information that you'll need to know. So let's go to the sketch. Raptor Reunion. Interior, a dining table at a nice restaurant. Maxwell, Brentley, Chadwick, and Carl are standing around the table. Maxwell, Brentley, and Chadwick are wearing fashionable clothes, including stylish and colorful sports jackets, and each have a glass of wine in their hand. Carl is wearing jeans with holes and a faded sports jacket over a stained tank top uh, with a beer in his hand. Well, old boys, that was another smashing high school reunion. Though I am saddened that we shall all split ways back to our homes tomorrow, my spirit is lifted to see that we have remained in contact all these years, and I look forward to our next coming together. Hear, hear. I dare say that I'm quite impressed that everyone is still in awe of the stories of our senior year football season when we took state from the Wildcats. Like those tales, our camaraderie has aged quite well. Indeed. A raptor never leaves the pack. You all said it. Man, oh man, did we ever kill it back in the day. A toast is in order. Brentley, Chadwick, Carl. Maxwell. Here is to all of the good times we've had together, and all of the good times yet to come. Certainly there have been some rough patches, like the first half of the big game against the Wildcats. (laughs) (laughs) 
But through it all, our friendship has preserved, and... Carl chugs his entire beer in the middle of the toast. What in God's name are you thinking, Carl? Maxwell was in the middle of an exquisite toast. Come now, man. Couldn't you wait until he finished before you took a drink? What? I was thirsty. Sue me. Now that you mention it, I was also, I am also fairly thirsty. That's not the point. It is rude to interrupt so poignant a moment. Look, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. When you're thirsty, you're thirsty. No, no, it's quite all right. My speech was getting long-winded anyways. Here's to a quick cheers to the raptors. Never leave the pack. Maxwell, Brentley, and Chadwick take sips of their drinks. All right, let us order some food, shall we? Everyone sits down and everyone sits down and picks up menus. A waiter arrives with multiple hot plates and sets them down in front of Carl. Here, here is your sizzling Southwest fajita platter, sir. Be careful not to touch the plates; they're sizzling hot. And the waiter exits. Did you order food already? Yeah, I called ahead of time. I knew I was going to be hungry. Sue me. What in God's name were you thinking, Carl? No one else called ahead of time. You knew we were going to come here together. Now we all have to watch you eat while we wait for our food. Look, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. When you're hungry, you're hungry. I'm actually pretty hungry myself. Would you mind if I had some of that? You going to pay for it? What is your problem, Carl? Why, why would you order food knowing that no one else would and not share it with the table? Raptors don't abandon the pack. Now, now, fellows, let's not let such a frivolous occurrence ruin an otherwise fraternal reunion. We cannot presume to understand how hungry our fellow raptor was, and he is paying for his meal on his own dollar. As he enjoys his fajitas, let us all enjoy one another's company. Thank you, Max. I'm glad to hear a voice of reason in the group. Now, if you all don't mind, my dogs are killing me. Carl moves his shoes and kicks his feet up on the table next to the plates. What in God's name are you thinking, Carl? Wait, can we all put our feet on the table? No, Chadwick. We most certainly cannot all put our feet on the table. In fact, not one of us should have our feet on it. This is a nice restaurant, Carl, and you were celebrating something very meaningful here. Now, Brentley, calm down. We cannot presume to understand... No, listen to me, Maxwell. How is it that we cannot presume anything about Carl's situation when every one of his actions is dictated by his own preposterous presumptions? Carl stands up. All right, listen up, fellas. You all know that I'm not one to let manners get in the way of what I want, but I'm still a raptor just like any of you. Didn't I make that winning play against those scumbags, the Wildcats? Indeed you did, old chum. Yes, here's to that. Listen, Carl, old boy, pull up a seat. No one wants to see you riled up on such a joyous occasion. It has been quite a while since last we enjoyed your company, and I'm sure that Brentley here is still acclimating to the same eclectic behaviors of yours, which gave you your unique charm. Isn't that right, Brentley? Yes, I do apologize, my good man. I have forgotten myself. Please, do pull up a seat and enjoy your fajita. Don't mind if I do. And Carl sits back down. That's a good sport. See, in spite of what minor differences there are between us, we are ever united by these. 
Maxwell pulls up a necklace he's been wearing, revealing a ring at the end. Our championship rings, which commemorate our triumph over those dastardly wildcats. Brantley and Chadwick pull out similar necklaces and cheer. Where's your ring, Carl? Oh, I had to pawn that thing a couple months ago. Carl, lad, are you in need of money? You should have asked a member of the pack for assistance before parting with your cherished raptor ring. Nah, nah, it ain't like that. I needed a quick 50 bucks for a hand job, and that ring was all I had on me. What in God's name are you thinking, Carl? What? I wanted an H.J. Sue me. It strikes me that $50 is quite a sum to pay for such a service. Chadwick, that's not what is important right now. Carl, do you care to answer for yourself? Look, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. When you want an H.J., you want an H.J. Carl, old friend, I am afraid that I must side with Brentley on this point. These rings were not easily won, and they symbolize the very spirit of the Raptor Pack. How could you bring yourself to part with it for so tawdry a service? Oh, you too now, Max? Huh, next I guess you're all going to try to tell me I was wrong to steal some of the money out of our class's charity donation jar last year on account of wanting some new speakers in my car. You did what? That money was intended for children with cancer. What kind of speakers? Or that it was wrong of me to piss in the punch dish tonight before it was served at the party, because I had to go real bad, and the bathroom down the hall seemed so far away. Gads, I had some of that punch. Why would you aim specifically for the dish? Yeah, I don't like that bathroom either. Or even that it was wrong to throw our championship trophy into the river because I was drunk and wanted to see if I could. (gasps) Our championship trophy? Was that not preserved in the school trophy case? It sure was. That thing did a real number to my crowbar, let me tell you. You robbed our alma mater of the memento of our victory? How did we not hear of this? Oh, I did it between the party and coming out here. Uh, Don't look at me like that. I told you I was drunk. What in God's name were you thinking, Carl? What? I wanted to test my strength. Sue me. We can, in actual fact, press criminal charges against you on this. And I intend to inform the authorities so that we may do just that. Look... I don't know what to tell you. Didn't say nothing at all, Carl. You have transgressed the one law of the raptor. You have forsaken the pack. And in so doing, you have broken our hearts. How could you do this, Carl? Carl stands up heroically. All right, listen, fellas. There's something I ain't never told yous before on account of not wanting to upset your dainty feelings. Yous all put too much importance on what's proper and what's not. The truth is, we only ever won that trophy, or these rings, or our friggin' sense of respect because I broke the rules. Remember that women play at the Wildcats game? Well, the coach tried to tell me to do a different play, but I got bored listening to him, so I told him to fuck himself. Then I punched a guy in the marching band, took the field, and did whatever the hell I wanted. That's the reason we won that game. If you all ask me, I don't think a real raptor looks after the pack. I think 
It hunts alone. Maxwell, Brentley, and Chadwick are in tears. Oh, what a stirring speech! Forgive me, old man. I had no idea. I knew you had it in you, Carl. The waiter returns. Is everything all right, gents? No. As a matter of fact, everything is not all right. You told me not to do something. What? Carl grabs the hot fajita plates with his bare hands, screaming in Ah! He brings them down on the waiter's head, who passes out. Maxwell, Brantley, and Chadwick cheer. You're a hero, Carl! Come, my compatriots! Let us waste no more time in this stuffy old restaurant. Let us instead take a page out of the wisdom of this veritable state of this veritable sage. We shall all pawn our rings and get HJs to the massage parlor. Tally ho! The end. Hey, Mark. Hey, how's it going? All right. So tell me about Raptor Reunion. Where did this idea come from? So Raptor Reunion was a sketch that I wrote in my uh, first sketch class that I ever took at the Magnet. It was its level one class. The teacher was Armando Diaz. And uh, the assignment was to write about uh, like some sort of pet peeve that you've got. And uh, I guess mine was just poor table manners so yeah i created the character of carl uh just sort of heightened uh heightened that personality trait and set it against a backdrop of uh, you know three hoity-toity figures uh to really create that distinction yeah when you sent me to this when you sent me this and i first read through it, i didn't catch that right away like I didn't catch totally. I don't know if I just missed the detail or just, uh, you know, skipped a line as I, I skimmed through, but like, mm. I didn't totally understand that the three are so vastly different than Carl was. So, so not only does it work like, at, like within that assignment of, uh, you know, elevating a pet peeve, but it also kind of works as a fish out of water sketch. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, evolved from the notion of a pet peeve into into something else for sure uh when was this written this was written back in 2014 uh say about five years ago and it's been uh it's been interesting to uh you know to be part of this podcast and to be asked to you know go back and uh, yeah look at the like the first sketch you know i ever written and to see, you know, just the, the evolution of how far uh, things have come since then. Uh, this is, you know, for example, a, a fairly long sketch by most standards. Yeah, it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, okay, and, you know, full disclosure, you sent me two options. <laughs> yes, I did, yes. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, they are both longer than I prefer my sketches to be. Like, I, I am very much a fan of shorts, like... Uh, one of my, you know, sketch teachers in the past, like, and I've, I've sure I mentioned this before, mm. has made the joke that if it's after, if it's more than five pages, we just finished reading at five pages. Like, oh, nice. Whatever happens after that doesn't matter because it's too long anyway. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. And I've, um, yeah, these days I try to keep my sketches within like three to five pages. I think that's the just the right amount, both for like brevity, but also you really go back through your multiple drafts and like 
hone in on like what the essence of that sketch is. Um, you know, cut down on any lines and anything that's not needed. Whereas, yeah, there are a lot of lines by like Maxwell and you know Brentley here that are just incredibly long. Yeah. Um, but even as you mentioned, I, I submitted a, a second sketch uh, <laughs> just due to concern that this was going to be entirely too long. And yeah, even that one exceeds five pages and was written in my uh, uh, second uh, class at the Magnet, also taught by Armando Diaz. And yeah, there's a you know, progression. It went from uh, eight pages to, to six pages. And yeah, my uh, you know, continued growth has been to continue to uh, yeah, hone in more <laughs> carefully on a single idea and keep it you know, short and simple and to the point. Was the sketch ever like produced on stage? It was not. No, no. Um, how, but I'm assuming in the class that you, there was like a reading of it. So how did, do you remember how the reading went? Um, it, it went well. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, like the first sketch, I think, you know, for the, the teacher's standpoint, there's a bit of lenience in terms of, you know, uh, passing judgment on standard sketch conventions that you don't really start to understand until a few years, uh, you know, brevity being one of those. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was, I believe it was praised for its, you know, character choices. There's, you know, the very distinct, uh, you know, Maxwell, Brentley and Chadwick. Uh, and then the, you know, the crass Carl. And we're just like, so clearly uh, delineated from one another. There's, there's, and there's a part of me that really likes it because, um, for, uh, the fact that you are very specific about, you know, costuming, you're very specific about props, like, mm. like where this sketch would have to be produced with these characters in specific costumes. Like you couldn't necessarily do this sketch. Like, you know, some teams do the whole minimalism thing where they just, mm. they, you know, there are no costume changes. There are no things uh, where everyone's just, you know, like t-shirt and jeans the entire time. And you just have to like, you know, give the benefit of doubt using your imagination a little bit more, but like mm. these characters are so rooted and so like well drawn for like, you know, a first sketch that you kind of expect them like, you know, I can see, you know, the khakis, the docker, the dockers, the, yeah. the docksider shoes, you know, maybe an ascot in there one for one of the guys. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, guess I think, I think you do thing. a good job of creating like a world for oh. these characters, for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think another just common element of some of my earlier sketches were, you know, if, I, if I'm not super explicit about every single thing. You know, how will the audience know? And yeah, I've come to you know, also grow and learn that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the case. I think this sketch probably could, if, you know, cut down considerably, uh, be performed by a, you know, like a, yeah, a minimalist uh, set design you know, that you've mentioned. But yeah, you know, uh, the very person I wrote this, like, yeah, it absolutely has to be, you know, these, you know, these props and these costumes, to, like really clearly delineate that. Yeah, and I prefer it that way. I'm not oh, lie. cool. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, uh, I was say, it reminds me of um, I caught a show here in New York once that was the uh, the stage directions of Eugene O'Neill, where uh, the troupe had cut out all of the dialogue of the Eugene O'Neill plays. But I guess he's uh, really well known for very descriptive stage directions, and they just had one person reading those stage directions and. Uh, the cast uh, pantomiming the actions out 
And I mean, that really, the stage directions in and of themselves told the entire story. Hmm. So I think that anytime I see uh, a fellow writer who's also very descriptive with, uh, you know, uh, the setting or the costumes or, you know, such and such a character walks in with like a, a certain attitude. Yeah. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. What's like the earliest memory of comedy that you have? So the earliest memory of comedy that I have is actually as a kid watching old Nickelodeon cartoons. Uh, and in particular, uh, there's an episode of Rocco's Modern Life where uh, the uh, his, his neurotic turtle friend, uh, Filber, uh, kept eating fortune cookies that said uh, the same, like, really dark thing. Like, you're... Uh, you're going to like die a like a terrible, unfortunate death, and uh, there's like this whole bit where uh, Rocco and Heifer and Philbert all ordered this like huge like pile of fortune cookies, and everyone that Philbert read was the exact same fortune. And uh, as Rocco and Heifer picked up other fortune cookies, there's very positive. And at one point, Rocco was about to take one. Philbert took it and said it was it was just the same thing. Um, so that's really my earliest memory. Like, yeah. This is a, a very funny premise uh, to build like a little you know short episode on, and then I think a lot of my early comedy sensibility came from uh, other cartoons like Simpsons and Futurama as well. Mm. Um, I mean, you you mentioned Rocco's Modern Life, and I like I didn't have cable growing up, so I mm. have no like real experience of Rocco's. But I think I just saw that there's like a movie coming. Yeah, I think to that's Netflix or something. Yeah, I think that's one of the other things that people are are really getting to the whole like nostalgia revival thing for. Yeah, we're like our generation is the absolute worst. <laughs> with, yeah, with how badly we look back at like, I don't know. Like, I think it's the evolution of like humanity where, uh, you know, a hundred years ago there was no you had to, you know, focus on day-to-day life. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't go out and like, you know, I don't know, till the crops or whatever, like you were going to die the next day <laughs> where yeah. we're not in that situation anymore. So we just have to like, you know, we overly longingly look back in the past. Sure. And I also think too, when it comes to like all these reboots, I mean, I just wonder like who the audience is for, because it's not going to really appeal to like a younger audience who's not familiar with the subject matter. I mean, the older audience is never going to like it. They're always gonna be like, ah, it's just not the same, you know? Um, it just seems like such a, a, a doomed enterprise to take on. Um, but yeah, people like, keep doing it. Yeah, like that, um, the Girl Meets World that Disney did a couple years ago, like... I remember watching the first episode out of curiosity because I, I did enjoy Boy Meets World as a kid Mm -hmm. and it was very quickly and like very clear to me. This is not for me. Mm. I will, I will not watch another episode of this ever again because like, Oh, that's right. I'm a 30 year old man. Like (laughs) this kid show on Disney is not written. I'm not the audience. Yeah. No matter how much that nostalgia factor is for me. I mean, potentially, I guess it could be a, a matter where, you know, uh, I guess people our age who are now uh, potentially parents can, you know, bond with like their kids over. Um, and, you know, as they watch shows like that, you know, talk about some deep cuts like, oh, you know, I remember 
uh, you know, the original series when they did this. Oh, what a what, what a fun callback, and you know, maybe introduce their their kids into that world. Uh, but yeah, I also feel like you know many people don't necessarily have kids, and they're just going to yeah always hold you know these reboots up to uh, you know that person's particular memories of a show or movie at the time, and you know a lot of those memories are also you know made when you were you were a kid. Um, you didn't really have a fully developed you know, sense of like emotion in the world. Yeah. I think, I think the whole, uh, showing your kids theory is probably like the best case scenario for yeah all the reboots and stuff like otherwise. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be right. Why else are they doing it? <laughs> um, uh, and then what's like, what was the thing in comedy that like propelled you to actually think that you could be a part and like actually write and perform your own material? Um, I did a little bit of theater in high school and, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, we always, so, um, we grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and, uh, we always went to our troop, our high school theater group would go to, um, like a statewide thespian conference in uh, the capital, Lincoln. And my senior year, we chose to sign up for, uh, an improv comedy competition that was uh, entirely short form, all whose line stuff. And like, we had never really like formally studied improv before we sort of, you know, uh, we taught someone or we asked someone from the, um, like the graduating class the previous year to come in and like coach for us. And we uh, taught a lot of uh, we taught ourselves a lot just based on what we've seen on whose line. Uh, and yeah, we took it to that conference and uh, we took home the gold. Uh, we won the theater sports. And that was probably yeah, the first moment um, that really you know, got me into like comedy uh, in particular as like a genre or a style of performance to get into. Hmm. Uh, so there's a statewide like theater. I, I've never heard of that. Like a, a, like a, a theater student convention. Yeah. Um, it was like every fall. Um, I don't know, you know, to what degree other states did that. Uh, but Nebraska, had, yeah, something like that, where there's like yeah, a big convention. Um, some uh, you know high schools would like produce a uh, like a play that they had submitted for consideration. There would be like you know workshops that were taught by you know people in the industry who were brought into it, and yeah, like fun things like a like a theater sports esque competition. Hmm. Uh, like, and I'm sure like being a theater kid in high school and, and whatnot, like you're not performing a lot, a lot, uh, because right. like in my, my experience up here in Philadelphia, like my nephews just, you know, started doing the high school theater thing and they do fall musical spring play. So mm. like, do you have like a favorite role from your time coming up, like performing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we, um, uh, my high school theater, uh, it was a pretty big program. We did two or three shows uh, every semester of you know, different types. And my senior spring semester, I played uh, Mr. Tumnus in uh, an adaptation of uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that we uh, we toured to like, uh, local elementary schools. Uh, and for which hmm. I won a Millard South Tony Award for Best Supporting Actor. What what is a Millard South Tony Award? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> you know, just a, a theater award given by uh, you know Millard South High School. Oh, okay, um, you know, very very <laughs> that prestigious. Was, 
I'm surprised that you, you haven't heard of it before. What, what the Millard South was. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, yeah. like, I was wondering more, like, how big is the space, like, of Millard South? Like, was it, like, the school district? Like, like a region? You know, like, that was the the confusing part to me. <laughs> oh, you know, just within the, uh, like, the, the high school theater group. Okay, but still fun. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and then, like, uh, so what's next? Like, how do we get from high school theater performer uh, doing improv at mm-hmm. a theater convention and, and winning that award as well mm-hmm. to eventually getting to the magnet to take a class? So uh, I went to New York for college and auditioned for my college improv troupe every year. Um and didn't get in, but my junior year, I got a callback, and at the callbacks, uh, everyone had talked about you know their experience in comedy, and someone at the callback had mentioned uh, they had taken classes at the UCB, and uh, up until that time, I didn't know that the UCB had a school. Uh, the UCB was actually another uh, influence of mine. Uh, just as a kid growing up, I just watched like a ton of Comedy Central. Uh, so I watched like a ton of like '90s SNL, um, but what I really got into was uh, the UCB sketch show. Just that it was so like offbeat and weird. Um, yeah, I just found a real uh, yeah attachment to that and uh, enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, so when I found out that they had this school, I just signed up right away. Started taking improv classes there, and it actually. Uh, yeah, it was improv was broadly what I was you know, mostly interested in for a very long time. Um, uh, before we yes continue, uh, we'll pause here. Sure. Uh, I ask everybody. You you brought up Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna you know just segue to it now. I ask everybody who is your favorite Saturday Night Live cast member. I've got to say Will Ferrell for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, up, it's to the point where I. Uh, about two of his uh, best of DVDs. Um, and it was also just because like, it was really that era of SNL that just aired on comedy central all the time. So it's also mm-hmm. largely what I was uh, exposed to. Um, yeah, I was a big fan of uh, yeah, just the big character choices that he uh, brought to, brought to the show. Okay. And then while you're at UCB, who were some of the instructors that you had? Uh, let's see. Um, I had, uh, Betsy Stover, Doug Moe, uh, Gavin Spieler, uh, Sylvia Ozels. Um, I had, uh, Abertabic, uh, Lydia Hensler, uh, John Timothy. Uh, yeah, taking a, a few classes there. Um, I was going to say, that, that feels like more than like the basic curriculum. Yeah, like the basic curriculum is uh, like four classes or so. And then uh, at that point, uh, you can go into like their uh, like advanced improv curriculum where they've got different classes that focus on like a different um, part of like improv. Like um, the one I took with uh, Abertabic, uh had like a, you know, I don't know to what degree, uh, you, you or your audience may be familiar with like improv shows, but um, a lot of improv shows begin with some kind of like an opener where you get your uh, like one word suggestion from the audience that inspires you know, like a 20 or so minute uh, like sh- 
uh, improvised play or set after that. But before uh, you even get into that, you, uh, you really deconstruct that, um, that suggestion. Sometimes that's with like a monologue. Sometimes uh, you, know, you build out characters that you think of when you think of that suggestion. In this one class, um, we would take a suggestion and then we would uh, we'd open by uh, dancing based on what that suggestion is. And all of our scenes had to start with, you know, some sort of a move that was taken from that dance. It was like a, it was a class with a very like a physical component to it. Uh, where mm. you know, a lot of improv might fall into like a, what people call a talking head scene, which is just, you know, two people just talking back and forth and saying funny things, but not necessarily, uh, you know, pantomiming out any actions or exploring the environment in which they're in. So, okay. Uh, so yeah, I've taken a few of uh, of those classes. Like, there's another class I took um, that like really focused on uh, super grounded scenes. Um, that was like you know don't really uh, you know, you don't really have to escalate to you know being the president on Mars. You know, there's plenty of escalation just in uh, you know regular day to day life that can be explored. Um, yeah, absolutely, sure. And that was with uh, Zach Willis. Was with uh, the class, the teacher for that class. Um, but yeah, took a lot of UCB classes, uh, and uh, you know, as many improvisers too. Uh, after you're not getting like a house team there, started taking classes at some other theaters, and uh, went to the Magnet. And one way that I had paid for my classes at the Magnet was that I uh, I was an intern there, so I did a lot of. Uh, I'd have one shift a week where I would work uh, like the box office. And after a few months, I went on to do a lot of the uh, theater tech for the shows. And mm. I just built up so many intern uh, class credits that I could take their improv program. And I had a few to spare. Uh, and sketch comedy was never actually uh, something that was right on my radar. Uh, but uh, because I had the credits to spare, I ended up taking Armando's uh, you know level one class uh, took that and really enjoyed it. Okay, so you've answered a qu- my next question. Basically, was how do we get from the UCB to the magnet? But you really didn't like consider like you were so deep into the improv thing that it wasn't that sketch wasn't like a real possibility for you. Yeah, at the beginning, um, I just really immersed myself in the improv world. You know, I was on you know indie teams and practice groups. Uh, you know, I was always taking classes and, uh, you know, one thing that appeals about improv is you really don't have to prep anything. You know, you want to make sure that you're in good practice, that you, you know, know like good tendencies to make during your scenes. Uh, but yeah, you don't really have to, you know, spend hours like, you know, agonizing over like a particular word choice or something like that when writing out your lines or doing it, you know, into yeah. homework really. Yeah, there's a major difference between like practicing for improv and editing and rehearsing for sketch. Right. Like that there is a part of me that like wishes I was more of an improv person just because I, so I wouldn't be in my head about editing and rehearsing. Yeah, and I've definitely found um so after that level 1 magnet class, I took their level 2 class. I also went through um the curriculums at both the the UCB and the pit. And I really, um, I really started to enjoy sketch. Um, 
And yeah, I, so wait, yes. so you've done ev- you've done everything <laughs> at all three theaters. Uh, a triple threat, I think, is what they what they say. Um, I I wonder, like, is that a thing? Do, like, is that a like? Do a lot of people do that? Uh I there are certainly some people who do it for sure. And yeah, I think just a lot of it is you know getting uh, a diverse array of feedback from across a variety of instructors. Uh, like a big thing for me was just you know. Uh, you know, making as many investments as I could into, you know, uh, being applicable to apply to a, you know, a variety of house teams. Um, so yeah, I'd also yeah, take classes at the pit that I, um, I'd also paid for by doing uh, a theater tech internship for their shows. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I just like, there's a magnitude mm-hmm of how many classes you took that's just like it's just in my head <laughs> like it just feels like so like how much time like, all right so when did you take your okay you mentioned this, that you wrote the sketch in 2014 mm-hmm. when was your first improv class like when was the first time you walked into the ucb for you know their level one? Oh boy that i want to say that might have there was um that would be like 2007 2007 2008 maybe okay okay Okay. 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 So it's okay. So it's way more spread out than for whatever reason. I thought like maybe like your first like UCB class was like 2012 and you just uh, jammed everything in that quickly. Okay. Yeah. I did uh, improv again, pretty much exclusively <laughs> for, uh, for quite a while before um, adding sketch and doing that as well. Sure. Okay. That makes entirely more sense than, my first assumption. Okay. So, uh, okay. So, uh, you, you've gone through the UCB, uh, levels. Mm -hmm. What is it like to be someone that has that experience and then going into the magnets levels and then conversely having all of that experience to go to the pit levels? Like, is there, is there a, a benefit or a drawback of being an experienced improviser restarting at a new theater at level one? Um, that's a great question. I think there is, there's a certain charm to like any like level one class. And I think a part of that charm is you're going to see like more people, just like just more people like with a variety of backgrounds and experiences and you know lifestyles who are just taking like a like an introductory class um just like see it you know um test the waters uh so you really get to meet uh, an interesting uh, array of people in like those level one classes and there's also you know there's more of a focus i find in those level one classes on like just like having fun uh you know it's they're designed to not be you know, terribly judgmental. So it's also been an, you know, an experience anytime I've taken a new level one class to really like try like a, like a new risk on something or, uh, you know, write in a style of sketch that, you know, I might not uh, feel particularly strong about. Um, you know, just to try it in a, a relatively safe environment. And then, yeah, as you escalate, you know, through the different levels, uh, you know, it, it starts to just become more people who, you know, really, really interested in comedy and you're trying to make like a career out of it or who are very, uh, you know, ambitiously seeking it to make it onto a, a house sanctioned team. Hmm. Um, 
so like redoing like you know level ones at various theaters allows you another opportunity to play more was it ever a chore because like my experience especially with like comedy education like this is that you have and this might be entirely um just in my head Mm -hmm. but like half of the class wants to do this and really pursue it and really be you know studious and like really you know focus and make it attract and like you know go for the house teams Mm -hmm. and and then there are the people that just do it as a lark right or because like they're the funny one in the office Mm -hmm. like it just seems like a fun way to spend the the thursday the tuesday night or whatever um and i totally forgot what the question i was trying to get to with that like okay so but with as the experienced person like of you know going through ucb and then going to magnet was it a chore to be surrounded by that mix of people? I, you know, I never, I never felt that way. Um, no, I was just always yeah, interested in, yeah. Uh, when you reset to like a new level one somewhere in seeing like where, you know, all of these different people are coming from and like all of these different senses of humors and sensibilities and each theater does sort of have its own, um, like curriculum and thing that it like works on. So there's also, there's that that I was always considering. I feel like in my magnet level one class, there is a big uh, push to like every week, the assignment was a different type of sketch. Um, so like we really focused on trying a variety of different things. And I think that's, that was true to an extent like the UCB, um, but like they also, I think pretty famous for focusing on like the game of a scene uh you know Mm -hmm. uh, finding some sort of uh uh a particular opinion or behavior uh that's interesting and uh you know heightening that through the action my experience from the pit was uh the time i had taken the pit curriculum it was really just like uh you know what do you find funny bring that in and we'll workshop it (laughs) um uh, this is such a mean question, but I'm I'm curious. Go for it, yeah. Uh, do you of the three theaters in New York City? Oh it, boy, is there a philosophy that you necessarily like lean towards more than the other with either the improv or the sketch uh, levels that they do? Oh man, I feel like you know you've got really like a red wine, white wine, rosé sort of a situation here, where you know each style is I think paired needs to be paired with like the appropriate setting and the appropriate uh you know main dish i guess i'd define what the metaphorical uh component of that would be um and i definitely cherish having uh you know taken classes with a variety of teachers to see you know so many different styles and philosophies at play um i do tend to enjoy like the idea of like a you know game of the scene style uh, play, but um, you know like I said, a lot of uh, you know the humor that appealed to me when I was younger was like really like offbeat and you know halfway through a sketch you just take it into like a weird uh, unexpected place. Um, so I do like I do like knowing the convention of the game of the scene, but then being able to pull into uh, you're just like taking it into something that's you know fun and new or evolving what that game may be 
uh, like over the course of a, a particular sketch. Yeah, and I following think with, uh, fun, I guess what they say at the pizza, uh, you know, follow the fun. And I think with um, the idea of going through three different theaters and like learning their, you know, um, not necessarily their like their own specific rules for sketch. Like, you I mean, obviously the UCB is very focused on game. And I've talked to a couple of people that with, you know, magnet training where of and I've, like, I think I think I've had a couple of people in the last couple of months talk to where their first sketch was that um, that pet peeve mm-hmm. uh, prompt. Like, I, th- I think a, a couple of the other New Yorkers I've talked to recently shared that sketch with me uh, of theirs. No. Uh, but like having so many different rules of, of, of three different theaters that feels to me that there, there's a little bit more freedom of like, there's more rules for us to break now that we know them. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, there, there's a, a mix of ideologies and, and thought processes that now there's more playgrounds to play in for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So you're coming to Philadelphia sketch. You're coming to, how did I say Philadelphia sketch fest? That's, not our branding at all. Um, <laughs> you're coming to Philly Sketch Fest with Savage, who yes. my understanding is a pit house team. Yes, they are. All right. So how do we get to Savage? Uh, so let's see. So at one point um, early on, when I uh, started taking um, sketch classes, uh, a little bit of that was also inspired by the fact that Coincidentally enough, uh, one of my best friends from high school, who I also did uh, theater with, uh, he won the Millard South Tony Award for Best Actor in a play for a little one-act competition we did. I ended up moving to New York, um, and he had introduced me to uh, like Mr. Show and uh, like other comedy shows, and we had talked about uh, doing like our own little writing uh, project. And we have, for the past five years, uh, wrote this like uh, podcast called New York Pacific. Um, and that's really sort of a labor of love. We've been doing it for five years. There are 11 published episodes. Uh, we meet once every week, every other week to, to write. And uh, then we'll schedule a time to record. And it takes us a few more months to edit. Uh, but I've been doing that the whole time. And... Uh, at one point, I also um, yeah, just this would have been in uh, 2017. I had joined a uh, sort of a, a newer comedy collective here in New York called the Armory, uh, where I done a lot of improv with, and uh, joined their uh, then pretty nascent sketch program. Is, so is I had, the, I'm sorry, is the Armory yeah, the one in Brooklyn? The Armory is in Manhattan. Um, There was the annoyance for a while was in Brooklyn. I believe there's now a a Brooklyn comedy collective down there. Um, The Armory is also Manhattan based. And uh, I had started doing uh, a sketch through their program. And the pit back in 2017, 2018 uh, revived um, for a long time. Uh, the pit didn't really have any house, uh, a lot of like like a house sketch program in the same way that like the UCB and the Magnet had, like you know six to eight like regular teams that would uh, you know perform a monthly show on a rotating basis. Uh, but they had revived this sort of a program, and 
I got in for the second season of that program with Savage. And that's uh, it's been about a year since we've been together. Um, I believe our first show was early April of 2018. Okay. Um, I mean, you mentioned the, the, the revitalization of the sketch program at Pitt. That, mm-hmm. And I, I talked to uh, Alan McRae last year. Oh, nice. Um, and I think like he was one of the people that had come basically to revitalize. Yes. Right. The, like the scripted program there at Pitt, like, and like, you know, the, I actually came up to New York last October for Pitt sketch fest. I saw a couple shows. Oh, no way. And like the, the, just the idea that, I mean, it is only a weekend, which is what we do here in Philadelphia too. But like, the idea that there's three stages going at all mm-hmm. times, like just the sheer variety of stuff that you can see yeah. at, at Pitt sketch fest was just overwhelming to me. Yeah. I mean, although the, um, the house team program has just recently been revived, the pits always been very receptive to um, like pitching shows mm-hmm. and like, they've got a lot of, um, I'm just at, yeah, because you mentioned they've got three stages and there's always something happening there where, yeah, a team, um, actually one of the, my fellow writers on Savage, uh, Dan Conroy, is on uh, another team called Seafood Mayhem that's, um, you know, while not you know part of this house program, uh, you know, has had like a, a very long run at the pit, um, like, you know, hourly shows. Uh, so it's still a place where sketches happened. Um, but Savage, uh, you know, is part of this, um, again, this, uh, this house program where there's, uh, I want to say six to eight house teams. Uh, every team does a show once a month. You're paired with like another team for a few weeks and then you're, you switch and you're paired with like another team. Uh, and each team does about like a, a 30 minute show. And, and yeah, Savage was also actually in the, uh, the New York sketch fest, uh, last year in 2018. So tell me about Savage then. Like Savage is what's coming to Philly Sketch Fest. I almost did yes, it again. Yes. Why am I saying Philly <laughs> Sketch Fest? That's so stupid of me. Uh, so Savage is coming to Philly Sketch Fest. Tell mm-hmm. me what to expect from a Savage show. Uh, yeah, Savage is amazing. Uh, we've got uh, you know twelve people who are part of the team, and you know a writing process goes that uh, you know everyone will bring to a first meeting some pitches. Uh, we'll really um, you know, work out those sketch ideas. And uh, yeah, everyone just brings such a, a unique and interesting energy to the table that we really get a, uh, a varied show with different uh, you know, comedic sensibilities. Um, that's just incredible. And recently, uh, one thing that we've started doubling down on is... Um, adding something different that you don't necessarily always see it like a standard sketch show uh in our last season this has been some sort of like a uh, like a narrative bit that uh well after we have established like the sketches that we want to do we'll add some kind of a a narrative that starts like at the very beginning of the show and gets called back in between sketches uh throughout the show and then you know, we conclude on at the very end of the show uh like one bit that we did uh relatively recently that was uh, i think very cool um 
is it, like in the aftermath of like the like Lori Loughlin college scandals, we had uh, you know, one of our actors performed as the uh, the dean of sketch comedy who had heard uh, came out to be in the show. He heard that some members of Savage may have like you know cheated or bribed their way on the team, and he was going to investigate. And after every few sketches. Dean would come back and call out certain actors and, you know, said like, ah, oh, well, this actor is actually a multimillionaire who paid their way onto the team. And we would start losing actors over the course of the show so that um, we had all of our sketches, like big casts, uh, you know, front loaded at the top of the show. And over the course of the show, we had to use increasingly smaller casts. Um, oh, that's fun. Oh, it was so fun. It was great. You mentioned that there, that there are 12 members of Savage. Yes. Uh, what's the breakdown between like writers and, and cast, or is there no boundary between a writer's room and the acting crew? Uh, great question. So uh, Savage is 11 uh, actors slash writers who uh, – so it's, there really isn't um, – like I think both the UCB and the Magnet do this. Uh, there isn't a huge breakdown where you're either a writer or an actor and sometimes an actor slash writer – uh, everyone is uh, like an actor slash writer. And, you know, there's some people who are, I'd say maybe more into the writing aspect and, uh, you know, have stuff with every show and other people who are, you know, more into the, the acting aspect and, you know, don't necessarily, you know, pitch new sketches for every show. Um, but I mean, everyone has the, the opportunity to do so. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, there, there's part of me that still is, you know, a bit mind boggled by the whole doing all the classes at all three theaters. Oh yeah. Um, so like, uh, uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. It just feels, I mean, you, you've mentioned that you've done it over an extended amount of time, but still mm-hmm. like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, um, like with both improv and sketch, I just really also enjoy the uh, the creative, you know, collaborative process. Um, so something that, you know, f- over the course of those years, there's always wanted to you know keep active in in some regard, or uh, you know to a to a certain degree. Um, and and you had yeah. mentioned that you had, you you moved to New York to you know study theater in college, right? Yes. So obviously acting performing is your professional goal. Yeah. Since I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I am beat IMDB you or. Oh, you saved yourself some time. Yeah. Like, but so being an actor, a writer, performer, whatever you're going to, you know, classify it is the goal in life. Yeah, absolutely. So what other performing are you doing other than Um, savage or, like, is it just auditions? Is it? Yeah. So it's really, I mean, at this time, um, yeah, Savage is still active as is, uh, uh, my armory sketch team, uh, be kind rewind that actually, uh, we recently found out had a video sketch of ours, uh, that was included in the Philly sketch, uh, film fest on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, my, uh, sketch podcast, uh, New York Pacific, uh, is still, uh, project that I'm active in, and, uh, and yeah, as I mentioned, my uh, you know, indie improv team, um, 
is also active. We do a show about once a month, and we've got a uh, like a festival coming up in Rhode Island. Uh, actually, the weekend after Philly Sketch Fest. So right now, it's mostly a lot of stuff that is in addition to uh, in addition to working a day job. You're right. Okay. Um. Here's a question I'm always curious about too. Sure. Uh, so you have Savage, mm-hmm. and you have Be Kind Rewind. Mm-hmm. Is there a, deline- a delineation in your mind about what idea goes to which team? A little bit, yeah. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Savage first starts with uh, just creating good sketches. Um, we'll you know write out uh, fully fleshed sketches. And from there, we will look to see, you know, if there's some kind of like overarching theme through those sketches or, you know, some kind of like narrative bit like that Dean of Sketch Comedy thing that we'll put on top of them. But like the focus is certainly first and foremost on, so yeah, again, good sketch comedy. Uh, with Be Kind Rewind, we start from, uh, each show is themed and we start from that theme. And so we get like a lot of sketches I'd write that I might not necessarily include in a writer's packet just because it only makes sense in the context of that, um, of that theme that we've chosen, but it's just, um, it's a different energy that's, you know, put into it and it's, um, it's still just really, um, really rewarding to then see a show where, uh, like there's like a, genuinely consistent like theme or throughput that's throughout the entire uh, you know, throughout all of the sketches okay um hmm. so as we're as we're wrapping up because we've already gone for about an hour which oh wow yeah uh talking comedy is easy hmm. <laughs> um you know as i joke that you know i'm just so fascinated that you've done all three uh theaters all three of the the, the big major theaters mm-hmm. in new york and then plus your work with the armory um i i always wonder uh what's something about comedy that you've learned that you'd pass on to a new writer yeah i would say keep it short you know uh you know your first draft can be just a thing that's uh you know, super long just like a, a heard and used the term vomit draft. We've just got an idea, put it all on paper. Um, but just know that um, you can cut down on like a lot of that exposition, you know, like the, uh, the audience, uh, you know, might catch on to, to more than, than you think. So you don't need a character always explicitly, uh, you know, saying what's happening. And, you know, after you've got that first draft, like really find, you know, what it is that's funny about, that to you and you know cut anything that's not advancing that yeah one time i i had ran a sketch for a show here in philadelphia where mm-hmm. the director of the show was like yeah this sketch starts in page two so yeah. you don't need anything of the first page and a half like this is all garbage snl intro stuff that is completely unnecessary right so right. we're gonna start here rewrite it from, from rewrite it start from there i was like oh okay and then like a week later it's like oh of co- like that's like that's when like the lightning bolt finally hit me about brevity and like being concise 
Yeah, and honestly, I still see that and I still do that. Um, yeah, I think it's just a lesson, just one of those things that's always good to like get back to the basics to to do and to understand where it's like, if you've got an idea, don't yeah take up, as you mentioned, a full page to uh, set it up. You know, just get it right out there, um, right out of the gates from the beginning. And then finally, uh, I mean, you have a house team at the pit, you have a house team at the armory. Mm-hmm. Indie improv teams, a sketch podcast that just feels like a major time commitment. Oh, in I addition mean, to in, in addition uh, to a day job. Sure, I mean it a hundred percent is, but <laughs> at the at the end of the day, you know it's something that I I really enjoy. Um, yeah. So so the question is why why comedy? Why is comedy how we spend our time? Yeah. Again, I think it just you know, harkens back to, uh, you know, just, uh, watching like a ton of comedy. There's just something that's, yeah, I don't know, like visceral or cathartic about like laughing at something or, you know, hearing someone else, you know, laugh at an idea that, that you think is funny. Um, there's something that's, uh, I don't know, sort of that brings people together, like about it, you know, it's like, Oh, this is something that you know someone else gets, or something that someone else observed, or that's uh, you know, in, in for however you get there, something that someone else you know thinks is funny. Mm. Yeah, comedy's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right, thanks, Mark. Well, yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show. You can see Mark and his sketch group Savage at Philly Sketch Fest on Friday, May 31st in the 7 p.m. block upstairs at the Philly Improv Theater, along with Rosemary's Other Baby and Milwaukee. You can find Mark's podcast, New York Pacific, wherever you get your podcasts. And his other sketch team, Be Kind Rewind, returns to the Armory in New York City on Wednesday, June 12th. More information on that show at thearmorycomedy.com My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest The music on this episode is by the band Nono which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com Like my first sketch on Facebook Follow the show on Twitter Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts This is Josh Hyam Thanks for listening. Come to Philly Sketch Fest.